Today we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Despite severe and mounting opposition, and despite the hardship of imprisonment, this letter is overflowing with joy. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be asking, from where does Paul derive this joy? How is it that Paul can continue rejoicing even in the midst of pain and suffering? In our passage today, Paul names two major problems that he is facing. Number one, he is in prison. And number two, there are people preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons. But as we will see, Paul experiences both of these problems as opportunities. And the reason he is able to experience problems as opportunities is that he trusts that God means it all for good. In the book of Genesis, which we read earlier, Joseph is, but not all of it, we read a portion of it, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, wrongfully convicted, and imprisoned. But Joseph remains confident in the Lord, and in time, Joseph is able to look back upon all of this and see what the Lord was really doing. In Genesis chapter 50, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And of course, the gospel is itself another example of this. The Jews and the Romans meant evil against Jesus, but God meant it for good. What they thought was a crucifixion was, from God's perspective, a sacrifice for sin and a necessary precursor to the rebirth of the entire world. And so here in Philippians 1, Paul is demonstrating that same sort of confidence. Because Paul has a posture and perspective of faith and trust, he is able to see in real time the good that the Lord is doing through his hardship. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that, it, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here again is problem number one. Paul is in prison. However, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. Because Paul is in prison, more people know the name of Christ. And because Paul is in prison, his fellow Christians are more bold to preach Christ. Inspired by the courage and commitment of Paul, they were speaking the word without fear. Here's the thing. Paul's perspective on all this is is only possible because his priorities are in order. Paul's chief concern is for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of Christ. Paul cared about other things, of course, but nothing could rival his commitment to the gospel. And I would submit that this level of commitment and loyalty is actually very psychologically healthy for us. Paul experiences numerous benefits from his single-mindedness. His joy, for instance, I think, is in part the product of his single-mindedness. Paul is so single-minded for the cause of Christ that when it comes to assessing his situation, 
Paul's calculus is very simple. My imprisonment has not been fun, but my imprisonment has advanced the gospel. Therefore, I am grateful for my imprisonment. Or in other words, Paul is not so focused on his immediate circumstances that he cannot see the bigger picture. What might have been discouraging or what might have looked like two steps back was actually a giant leap forward. The gospel was advancing. And so whatever you are facing or whatever you will face in the future, remember, your God is a God who means things for good. Your God is a God who means things for good. Learn the art of seeing God's purposes working themselves out through your problems and your pain. That is a recipe for joy and hope. Okay, problem number two, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so again, Paul finds the silver lining here. Some preach for the right reasons and some preach for the wrong reasons, but hey, Christ is proclaimed. And that doesn't mean it's okay to preach for the wrong reasons, but in all things, Paul is determined to find a reason to rejoice. Now, there are two possible interpretations of these verses. Paul is either talking about people who oppose him personally and who are speaking against him, or Paul is actually talking about people who support him personally, but who are stirring up trouble on his account or in his defense. If you read this in the English, the translators seem to have taken the first interpretation. Um, But I actually think the second interpretation is very possible. It may be that those who were stirring up strife were doing so out of a misguided attempt to defend Paul. And that's not hard to imagine. If the church in America were facing this type of political persecution, if pastors were being put in prison for their faith, some people would receive this from the hand of God and respond with meekness and gentleness and wisdom. And others would get louder and angrier. They would take to the streets or they would take to social media in order to fight the culture war. And so in that case, Paul would agree with James chapter 3. It says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere." And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is the proper Christian response to opposition and hardship. Careful speech, 
good conduct, meekness, wisdom, purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, and sincerity. If we respond in anger, if we stir up strife, if we stir up more strife, we may technically be speaking the truth. We may technically be proclaiming Christ, but the manner in which we do so will contradict the message we are proclaiming. So again, whatever we are facing, we must remember that our God is a God who means things for good. We have to learn the art of seeing him working through our problems and our pain because that is a recipe for joy and hope. Picking back up in verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Most commentators believe Paul is quoting from the book of Job here. When he says, this will turn out for my deliverance, it's a quote from Job 13. So Paul is in prison, and he has been dwelling upon the story of Job. Yet another character in the Bible who experienced great evil, but for whom God meant good. Verse 19 again. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whether Paul lives or dies, whether Paul lives or dies, it will be a divine deliverance. Whether Paul lives or dies, it will turn out for his deliverance. You see, Paul was awaiting a tribunal here. Paul is awaiting trial. And although he expects a favorable outcome, that's what he says, he knows that anything is possible. And so either he will be delivered from this Roman tribunal, or he will stand before the throne of God and be delivered from that heavenly tribunal. Either way, it's going to be a divine deliverance. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, this is not a death wish. Paul is not despairing. He's not depressed. He is not so dissatisfied with life that he would prefer to die. This is once again the simple calculus of a single-minded man. His future is uncertain, but because his priorities are in order, he cannot lose. It's a win-win situation for him. I expect to come to you again, but even if I don't, even if I die, God means all things for good. And if the next letter you receive contains the news of my execution, I want you to rejoice with me. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is actually gain. So Paul is setting an example for the Philippians who were also facing hardship, 
This is how you too can rejoice and be grateful no matter your circumstances. But I want to be careful not to present an overly cheery picture of what Paul is actually experiencing here. There's a difference between joy and happiness, right? Paul's joy cannot be taken from him. But that doesn't mean he's always happy about everything. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which serves as a kind of uh, balancing statement to Philippians chapter 1. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was, not, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So in this case, Paul remains hopeful. He is still quick to remind himself of God's goodness. He still believes that God means everything for good. But he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Not only did Paul expect to be killed, but his spirit was so low that he felt the imminence of death deep within his bones. He despaired of life. And so, just because Paul is stubbornly cheerful in Philippians chapter 1, does not mean that he was always this way, that he always felt this way. Paul struggled with this stuff. He was not on a constant spiritual high. He had to preach this gospel to himself on a regular basis, time after time. And so it's okay for you to struggle with this too. It's not okay to give up. It's not okay to give in to despair. But it is okay to struggle for joy, and to struggle for contentment. As I said last week, the journey to joy has ups and downs, and the call is not to be happy all the time. There's a time to laugh and dance, but there is also a time to mourn and weep. The Christian life is not a call to stoicism. We are not to be perpetually unaffected. But even when we despair, there is joy to be had. Even when we despair, there is joy to be had. Christian joy, Christian joy is big enough to encompass even our sorrows. So not only is it okay to struggle, the Christian life is a struggle. And this will become very clear in our passage next week. But for those who keep the faith, for those who go on fighting to maintain a proper perspective, for those who persist in the journey to joy, every hardship will ultimately turn out for deliverance. Every hardship will ultimately produce greater faith and deeper joy. Our feelings may come and go, but our hope in the Lord and our joy in the Lord can be fixed realities. In fact, to maintain hope and joy even when we don't feel it is part of what it means to mature in the Christian life. To maintain hope and joy even when we don't feel it is part of what it means to to, to mature in the Christian life. 
And again, this is all made possible by a single-minded devotion to Christ and to the advancement of the gospel. Can I honestly say that for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Or is it that for me, to live is Christ and my work and my house and my investment portfolio and my kids and my hobbies and my vacations? But yeah, to, to live is Christ. Those are all good things. But if they rival our commitment to Christ and the advancement of the gospel, we simply will not know a life of joy and fearlessness. Our calculus will become too convoluted. We will multiply our anxieties and we will struggle to trust in a God who means everything for good. And so there is joy There is joy to be had in the simplicity of single-mindedness. To live is Christ, period. To live is Christ, period. Simplify your calculus today. Is this for my good? Yes. Will this advance the gospel? Yes. Then thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good to us, even in our problems and even in our pain. Help us to see things as you see them, and in the meantime, to trust you as a God who means things for good. Jesus, you have died for us, and so we joyfully live for you. We live in you. Holy Spirit, make us single-minded for Christ. Make us single-minded for the advancement of the gospel and teach us to trust and hope and pray and rejoice even when and especially when life is hard. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.